Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. When the body of Loretta Lewis was fished out of the water, no one could have imagined that those who were tasked with solving her murder could have also been the perpetrators. I want everyone to listen closely to today's true crime tale of police corruption in hopes that such crimes against humanity can never be repeated by law enforcement again. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime In It. So today I have a wonderful guest, Nate Quaylen. Can you say hi? Did I say your name right? I'm scared. Yes, my name is Quaylen Stark, and I am the creator behind Quo. Quo is a slow fashion brand that's focused on patterns for knit, crochet, and sewing. And with those patterns, I like to focus a lot on avant-garde fashion and unusual shaping. That is really cool because, like, Nowadays, when you see a lot of modern knitting patterns, it's all like the same shaping. Like, I am guilty of this as well. Like, I'm the queen of circular yokes, like for real, for real. So it's like really cool that you are playing around with shape. And you also play around a lot with like inclusivity as well. And I adore that. That's something I've been striving to do better. And where are you stationed right now? Stationed like you're a Marine. I I am in East Texas, uh, near like the Tyler area. And I'm actually about three and a half hours from where this uh, true crime take took place, which in Texas time is pretty close. <laughs> it's just like a hop, skip and a jump. <laughs> so I already told Quaylen about the case that we'll be talking about today, which is very different from how I usually do the show. I just wanted to switch it up. And he also mentioned that he wanted to know. So I'm like, all right, let's do something different. It's gonna be fun. And so when I told you the case that we're working on, you were like excited because didn't you already read up on it before? I did. I have. I read the book that I think we're going to touch on that later. But I read the um, Murder in the Bayou uh, a couple years ago. And it's it's one of those cases I do also listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and that sort of thing. And it's this case is one of the most interesting cases to me. It's interesting. And for me, it's also quite eye opening. So with that, let's get started. Today's case takes place in Jennings, which is in Jeff Davis Parish, Louisiana. Now, if you're a northerner like me, you may not have realized that Louisiana is separated into parishes, not counties. And so Jennings is not just a city in Jeff Davis, but it is the city that holds the parish seat. So that is where all the political decisions for the county is made. So what's a big deal? So big that it was once called the Boudin capital of the universe. And Boudin is, again, for the Northerners out there, it's a super delicious Cajun-style sausage. 10 out of 10 will recommend. Have you, have you ever tried it? Oh, yes. I have I have it all the time. They actually serve it at, like, all of the donut shops around here, which is great. <gasps> what? Yeah, it's, they use it, they it kind of like a pig in a blanket. I'm so intrigued and jealous that I don't have that here. 
that that sound it's delicious i'm gonna put a picture of that up on the show but um again we are digressing or at least i am digressing because i am hungry as always but but yes jennings was a well-known city despite it only being home to approximately 10 thousand people in the early 2000s. Besides its delicious boudin and rich Cajun culture, Jennings was known for something else. They were known for being key players in the Gulf Coast drug trade. Interstate 10 creates a direct route from Houston that runs through Jennings to New Orleans, making it the perfect route for running marijuana and cocaine from the border. This drug highway also created a market for prescription drugs, and it became known that you can find doctors willing to prescribe large amounts of prescription medication to then be used in the illegal drug trade. So yes, Jennings was known for boudin on the surface, but it also had a prominent drug problem, not just with dealings, but also with drug addiction and illegal sex work. Two things that just tend to go together. And before I go on, I just want to make it clear that sex work is real work, okay? It's one of the oldest professions and it's just not going anywhere. That's why it's imperative for it to be made legal so that way we can keep our sex workers and their patrons safe. You'll see by the end of this case how Jennings would have benefited from having legal sex work. But once again, I am jumping ahead of myself. You could say, though, with this drug highway running straight through their city, that police really had a lot to do. In fact, police were working about one drug bust every night at one hotspot called the Boudreaux Inn, which is a motel in Jennings. Now, the Boudreaux Inn was a one-stop shop for illicit drugs and sex work. And though many people lived and died for the Boudreaux Inn, today we are focusing on the Jeff Davis 8. Eight women who were all connected with the Boudreaux Inn through their sex work and or drug usage and who were also murdered by it. Before we go on, it's now time to hear from today's sponsor. So as a mom, literally my only time to relax is when I shower. You know, like my routine is my husband puts my son down, he's two, and then I clean up the house a bit, and then I just get to unwind in the shower with a audiobook. And today's sponsor, Way, is helping me up my shower game with their Melrose Place Body Cleanser. This cleanser balances out and nourishes your skin. And it just has this really luxurious lather that just turns my shower experience into the spa day that I crave. Experience the new way Melrose Place Body Cream and Body Cleanser. Your body, your way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com, code BELIEVE. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. 
And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you the peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it is more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN, offering the fastest connectivity, the most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans start at under $4 each month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code believe, B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And now let's get back to our story. Besides the Boudreaux Inn, many of the drug users and sex workers of Jennings frequented the home of Harvey Birddog Burley, who pretty much ran a trap house. The house was described of not even having electricity. So every dollar was essentially spent on drug usage, which is just incredibly sad that, you know, there are people living like that in so much pain. And on the night of April 20th, 2005, police forced their way through the Burley house in a raid, shouting police as they're supposed to do when they're entering a home. What happened next is heavily disputed by the police and some of the braver witnesses. Police officer Briggs Becton claimed that upon entering, a man named Leonard Crochet did not put his hands up, but instead looked as if he was reaching for something on his belt. Becton then shot Crochet point blank in the chest, killing him. Upon searching his body, they found that Crochet did not have a gun or anything on him that could be used as a weapon. Witnesses who were there in the Burley home claimed that Crochet was shot while he had his hands in the air in compliance. Later, a grand jury stated that in regards to Crochet's murder, there was just no evidence of a crime being committed. And so Becton got essentially got away with murder. The story, though, does not stop at Crochet's murder. This murder took place in a trap house in front of witnesses, many of whom were sex workers who worked at the Boudreaux and who were also coincidentally police informants. The Jeff Davis 8 is the name given to eight women who were all murdered in Jennings and who also happened to have either been in the Burley home that night or close to those who were there that night. And I want to say on that, there was one, I believe, that was officially 
put there at the scene uh, as having witnessed Crochet's murder, but it's debated whether more uh, of the Jennings Eight were at that trap house whenever that occurred, and it seems really plausible to me because if you're at a trap house, number one, you're not going to want people to know that you're there, but especially whenever a crime so big as a murder happens, you're really not going to want the police or anyone else for that matter to know that you were there at that crime scene. So I'm sure that it was a, there was a lot of people there that didn't go reported. Exactly. And remember they shouted police. And from what I gathered uh, from witness testimony, it wasn't that much time from the time the police announced them to the time where they were in the house and shooting Kershaw. In that moment, people could have scattered, even though it was very fast, they could have easily scattered. One witness told police the girls were being killed, and this kind of ties in, because they had seen something they were not supposed to see. Even Frankie Richard, who is a well-known pimp and strip club owner in that area, says most of them girls were at the raid, even that crochet boy who got killed. Most of the girls that are already dead today were there that night, end quote. Seven out of the eight women um, actually worked with Frankie Richard. And the first eight to be found dead was 28-year-old Loretta Lewis. Loretta Lewis was a beautiful and blonde young woman who, from her picture, looks like she could have graced the cover of a lifestyle magazine, but she was stunted by living in Jennings. Loretta suffered from mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder, but Jennings, Louisiana did not have the resources or the environment needed to support someone in a mental health crisis. Loretta, like many, turned to self-medicating with illicit drugs. She was able to pay for her expensive addiction with sex work at the Boudreaux Inn. One month after the murder of Kershaw on May 20th, 2005, Loretta's body was recovered from the Grand Marais Canal. The coroner could not determine her cause of death, which will, as you will soon find out, is a trend in the Jeff Davis 8. Despite this, those who knew Loretta believed that she was murdered. The next victim was Ernestine Marine Daniels Patterson who was a 30-year-old black woman, a natural beauty, and she had just like the sweetest smile. Like Loretta, Ernestine's body was found floating in water, and she was found in August 2005. But Ernestine's death was a clear homicide as her throat was slit and her body showed signs of a struggle. Ernestine, though, was the only one of the eight who did not work for Richard. Ernestine was a known sex worker, and on the night that she died, her client, Byron Chad Jones, and his friend, Lawrence Nixon, were seen covered in blood with an industrial-sized garbage bag large enough to conceal a body. And though Byron and Lawrence were arrested and questioned, no further movement happened on the case. Yeah, and there's also a part um, in the book that we both read where they talk a bit about the percentages of solved murders within Jennings versus the country at large. And I believe the statistic in the country itself was 63% of murders get solved and in Jennings at 7%. So 
right off the bat, you can see just how inadequate the Jennings Police Department is at solving these cases. Even whenever the evidence is like so evident, I mean, they had blood on them, like they had all this evidence and they still couldn't get a conviction from that. They had a witness testimony. You know, they had a connection to the deceased. They had everything that in any other county in the U.S. would have brought a conviction. Now, this is a trend in this case. And so I want everyone who's listening to like keep this in mind. But the police here are really hiding behind a veil of just incompetence with every one of these murders, because as I mentioned, also, a lot of these women don't have an official cause of death. And that's just another way where they are using incompetence and they're using the fact that they are a smaller scale city to say, look, we don't have the resources to solve this murder when they actually do. The third victim was Kristen Gary Lopez, who was only 21 and the second youngest of the Jeff Davis eight. She had an honest face with big deep brown eyes and Kristen witnessed the murder of Crochet, which means she's one of the official witnesses on the police list. That's pretty important. One of the last people to see Kristen was Richard. And Richard is not just, you know, doing all these illegal activities, but he also has a history of being violent towards anyone, specifically women, actually. Even though he had these violent tendencies, I, he was still walking around with the general public. And some speculate it's because uh, this is because he was friends with Jennings police. He had a lot of friends who were active police officers at the time. Unfortunately, like the other victims, Kristen's body was found floating in a canal on March 2007. Whitney Dubois was the fourth victim whose body was found on a road just outside of Jennings in May 2007. Witnesses who claimed to have been present at the time of Whitney's murder claimed that she was killed by Richard after she rejected his sexual advances. Remember, this, this man is violent. The witnesses then claim that Richard killed Whitney by drowning. Whitney's cause of death is also undetermined. They tend to say asphyxiation in a lot of these cases that we're talking about today as a possibility, but technically a lot of their causes of death are technically on paper is undetermined. Lasagna Muggy Brown was the fifth victim. Before her death, Muggy's loved ones claim that she told them that she was working with the police as an informant to solve a murder. A police officer had approached Muggy offering her $500 if she told him about a murder. And we are assuming he met Crochet's murder. This interaction rightfully frightened Muggy, causing her family to believe that her death could have been at the hands of the police who were desperately trying to cover up the murder of Crochet. A witness even told police at the time that Muggy was worried that three police officers were going to kill her. On the night of her disappearance, Muggy seemed to know that her time was up and she very sadly went to her grandmother and just told her how much she loved her. And on May 29, 2007, on a road just outside of Jennings Police's practice shooting range, so where police will practice shooting, she was found with her throat slit just laying on the road. And Muggy was the only one of the eight found within Jennings city limits. 
And I also want to touch base about how I just mentioned how a police officer offered her $500 to tell her about a murder. First of all, not only is that highly illegal, but to me, it also sounds like he's fishing to know how much information that she knew about the murder of Crochet to see whether or not she would be a threat or not. Does that make sense? And that you also mentioned her kind of knowing that something bad was going to happen to her. And that wasn't, she was not the only one of the Jennings eight that was like that. A lot of those women knew they saw that people were coming after them and they knew that they were in trouble, which is even more scary to me. Yeah, it's just terrifying. I I just, I personally cannot even imagine being in this town and not having a car, being hours from the nearest major city, and the police are out to get me. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. She, she like the other women, was just a victim of her circumstances, which is haunting. That is so terrifying to me that these women knew what was coming, but they still had no way of defending themselves against it. Yeah, I mean, there's a few cases where they were making these really terrifying decisions of what to do with their children. Because a lot of these women are sex workers because they also want to support their children. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, like they were making these executive decisions that nobody should have to make. It's terrifying. This this case is terrifying. In September 2008, Crystal Shea Benoit Zeno was found in the woods in South Jennings. A witness had seen three men in the area around where Crystal's body was found. And one of the men that the witness claimed to see was Irvin Tyson, who also happened to be a suspect in the murder of Kristen Lopez. Crystal had medium brown hair and and just these sweet eyes and a very kind smile. She was only 24 when she died. And though Crystal's cause of death has not been released, police classify it as a homicide. So at least for Crystal's death, they're not saying it's undetermined. They're just not telling the public how exactly she died. Brittany Gary was just 17 when her body was found on November 15, 2008 on the side of the road. And Brittany, just her story to me is one of the more tragic ones because she did not have a chance at all. Her mother was Teresa Gray, who worked closely with Richard in a crime and drug ring. So they pretty much worked distributing drugs and they also worked with stealing. So theft, drug, and just all around illegal stuff going on while Britney's growing up, okay? Her cousin was Kristen Lopez, who was the third victim. And she was best friends with Muggy Brown. No official death had been determined for young Britney, but it just breaks my heart that she was only 17 and everyone around her was involved in this illicit crime ring. Just at 17, your biggest issue should be the SATs if that's the road you want to go down. You know what I mean? There's no escaping it at that age. I mean, getting a driver's license is super expensive. She can't just drive away legally. There's just no way to escape this nightmare. Nicole Guillory was the last victim and her murderer is pretty easy to spot. Everyone pretty much knows who murdered her, but it's just not in any official reports. 
Nicole was what the kids these days would call a baddie. She was always ready to defend herself. Once she fought off one of her clients with a sledgehammer and everyone just knew she was tough and not to mess with her. It is suspected that Nicole was involved with police somehow, maybe as an informant, because whenever Nicole would be arrested, whether that's from drug use or sex work, the charges would just be dropped. Frankie Richard says of Nicole, and this is a quote, Nicole knew a whole lot about a whole lot. Nicole voiced concerns of being the next victim to her mother. So she was talking about it to her mom and she claimed she was worried because she knew the police killed the previous seven girls and she was afraid that she would be next and when her mother wanted to buy her a birthday cake for her 27th birthday nicole said and this is a quote from her mama it doesn't matter i'm not gonna be here before her death nicole was a baddie to the end. She made sure that her children were taken care of by putting them in the care of family members. So she did all of this work and Nicole's body was found on August 19th, 2009 on the side of the road. She was only 26 when she died. So she didn't even make it to her birthday as she predicted. So despite all that I have told you today with witness testimony and family testimony, no progress has been made in the case of the Jeff A. Many of the people who were involved and viewed as suspects by either the police or public are still walking around Jennings without a care in the world, okay? There is so much more to this story that I just could not fit it in what's going to be a half hour show. In fact, there's so much that investigative journalist Ethan Brown of New Orleans wrote a book called Murder in the Bayou. And I read this book in preparation for the episode. And let me tell you, it is a phenomenal read that includes sources that can be backed up by public record. So it's not just a lot of hearsay or conspiracy. This is as close to the truth that we will ever get to this case. And this is not a sponsor, but I listened to the book on Audible and it's actually free to subscribers right now on Audible. I definitely recommend the book as well. And the author actually was there in Jennings talking to people that it was affected by the cases. And there is like, we are just... at the tip of the iceberg with this video that we're doing now there is so much more that goes into this case it is like unreal how many twists and turns there are in the case and this was actually i believe not officially but everybody says that this was the inspiration for true detective season one if anybody has watched that which i i love that show as well but it's it goes very deep and the book is is amazing. There was so much. And just disclaimer, I don't like reading books for episodes. Just because I feel like there's just so much. I kind of want to stick to like the bigger facts, but if, if you know what I mean. But for, in preparation for this episode, I didn't have a choice because a lot of the public record that my show relies on, I just don't have access to it because Jennings is so small. You have to actually go there. And like even the investigative like reporter, he had to go there and spend hours looking up all these public records because unlike what a lot of other cases, is not online. Like all my other cases, high profile and not, 
you can find a lot of information online on government websites. Also, I think that it's pretty purposeful that it's hard to look into this case from public records from Jennings. I think that the police know uh, what they're doing when it's really hard to track those pieces of information that are pretty vital down. Exactly. And so, like, I literally did not have a choice but read this book. And because it's not that I dislike true crime books. I love them. But a lot of the times I find when you write a book, you have to have an angle and a core belief. So sometimes a writer would write a book with this belief that so-and-so is is guilty and here's why you get what i mean while with me i try to take just the pure facts of a case with this case with this story there are no pure facts they're just not available and yeah and that also i feel is very purposeful as well they try to muddy up the waters as much as they can yeah it's infuriating it's because i for example i couldn't even find official like records on these women's deaths so whenever there's like an unsolved murder what a lot of agencies would do was that they will add this unsolved murder into name us which is a database available to the public to so that way someone can help solve the murder right i'm even in the databases like they're each woman's story was not full, was not complete. It was just name, age, sex, that's it. It was very, very frustrating to learn little tidbits about their life. Because that's what matters to me is is also honoring these victims. And oh my gosh, it was a researching nightmare. Anyway, everyone in Jennings just kind of just forgot about these women. They were seen as just casualties of their high-risk lifestyle, which is such a cop-out because you do not choose to be high-risk. Usually, your environment makes that your only choice. And Jennings, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but they don't have access at the time, at least, when this was happening. There wasn't any treatment facility for drug addiction in Jennings, even though they had a major drug problem. Like, hello? And it, the the public forgetting about these women and also the police not really caring enough to do their due diligence and actually find the killers, even with the police corruption and possibly being involved aside, I think it's another example of the many where so many people in minority groups, whether it be sex workers or black women or drug users, or even one of the victims was developmentally disabled. Those people are seen as more disposable and less dead than counterparts that more have more privilege. It's disgusting because you will never know what they would have been capable of in a better environment. As for Frankie Richard, he is now deceased. But before he died, you know, his life, he didn't even, with all the trouble and death and corruption that he was in the middle of, at the end of it, he didn't even benefit from it. Before he passed, he was still living at his mom's house. And he had just spent most of his time sitting on his porch and drinking out of GM jars. Something that bugs me about this case is that he did all of this for money. And all these women that he knew just died for money and corruption as well. And he couldn't even keep it. 
at the end of the day, nothing was gained by him besides lack of prison time. But honestly, from my research, Jennings in itself is a type of prison where depravity goes unchecked for so long that the wrongdoers become trapped there themselves. And by the time they are old and retired from crime, they just have nothing to show for it besides a story told on a porch with a jelly jar of sweet tea. And that's pretty much all they had at the end of it. This case, this case makes me mad. But that's why we're here talking about it today. So that way, we do not forget what happened in hopes that this doesn't be repeated again and again. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime and Knit. For more information, please visit www.thedrunkbitter.com slash truecrime. And now it's time for our knitter mission. So in this part, it's just pick me up part of the show where we just chit chat about what we've been knitting. Can I ask you, what is one project that you are working on right now that you are the most excited about or like ready for? You know what I mean? Ooh, so I am working on like a big project, um, not necessarily like a singular project, like a knitting project, but a big overall project that I cannot wait for it to be out. Um, I'm finishing it up this week, actually, and I'm going to be continually knitting for the next month or so to finish everything up. But I'm very excited for that. And I have been working on a couple other patterns for personal patterns of mine that I'm really excited to. There's a few accessories that I'm working on. Um, and yeah, those are what's really motivating me right now is those accessories. Can I tell you what my favorite one of your accessories is? I love your, oh gosh, I'm, I'm bad. I don't know what the name is, but it's the bucket hat. Oh, it's Yes, it's called Bucket. Yeah, see, I, I knew it was something like that. I've been wanting to make that hat forever. I think about it all, like, this is a problem. I think about it all the time. Like, I was just thinking about it last week because I bought myself a Y2K era uh, Juicy Couture tracksuit. It's one I picked out when I was in high school in oh like four or five and at the time i just couldn't afford it and now um I, I picked one up off of poshmark the same one i picked out from nordstrom's decades ago oh i love that i love that was amazing i know i know i know so i like the the child in me is screaming but anyway i was like oh this needs a bucket hat i'll send you the pattern i'll email it to you of course I bought it from you. Don't send me nothing. Oh, you do? Okay. I tell people that all the time. Do not send me nothing for free. I bought it like the same day that you released it. Of course. I bought it from you. Don't send me nothing. I tell people that all the time. Do not send me nothing for free. I bought it like the same day that you released it. Okay. Thank you. It, it's been on my to-knit list for since you released it. To crochet. I know how to crochet. I'm just bad at it. But I, I can do it. Okay. I can do it. So I'm super excited for that. Anyway, that was our knitter mission. My name is Sophia Talley and this has been True Crime and Knit. For more information, please visit www.thedrunkknitter.com slash true crime. Ending. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.